You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. Amen. I don't know if you guys know this, but we have some amazing kids here. As your family pastor, it is an honor to work alongside those kids. If you're sitting here today and you feel like there's a void in your life, there's something missing, that void might be kids' ministry. And so I'd encourage you to come talk to me. We'd get you plugged in, get to hang out with all those kids. For those of you that have the joy of staying in here with me this morning, though, we're going to be continuing our series through the book of Romans. So I'd like to invite you to grab your Bibles and find your way to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We're going to be starting in the 8th verse. If you're using one of the Red Pew Bibles nearby, we're going to be on page 997. I'd really like to encourage you to bring your Bible to church. Coming to church without your Bible is kind of like going to the mechanic without your car. It's really hard to get a lot of work done. So we, uh, we keep the lights on in here and we open up our Bibles because we want to be like the Bereans in Acts. We want to study our Bible, examine the scriptures together. We'll have some verses on the screen and on the Version Bible app as well if you're using that. But we're going to be really diving into this book of Romans over the next several weeks. So I remember when I was early on in my Christian faith, I was at a church that was going through the book of James. And if I showed you my Bible from that time, the book of James is almost falling out. I've, I've written all over it. I've marked it. I've taped it back inside. So I want Romans to look that way in your Bibles too as, as we study God's word and, and look at the theology of Jesus Christ. Anyways, as I mentioned, we're going to be studying through the book of Romans together over the next several weeks. Last week, if you weren't with us, Pastor Brian kind of kicked off our new series. He did some, some expositional work on the first seven verses just provided a wealth of information as well as a foundation of introduction work. So I would encourage you, if you missed that, go back and watch that video so that you don't miss anything. But today we're going to pick up where Pastor Brian left off, Romans chapter 1, starting in the 8th verse. Let's read God's word together. It says, first, you can circle that word first, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because the news of your faith is being reported in all the world. God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in telling the good news about his son, that I constantly mention you, always asking in my prayers that if it's somehow in God's will, I may now at least succeed in coming to you. For I want very much to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to to strengthen you, that is to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Verse 13 says, now I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I often planned to come to you, but was prevented until now, in order that I might have a fruitful ministry among you, just as I have had among the rest of the Gentiles. I am obligated both to the Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray as we begin our time together this morning. Dear Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word and and to learn from Paul's letter here to the Romans. I I pray that you would just use me this morning, Lord. Open our eyes and ears and minds and hearts to hear from you. I pray that we would leave here changed based on what we heard from your word, that we wouldn't keep it to ourselves, but we'd be a light in the darkness. We would salt the day, Lord Jesus, that we would be your hands and feet in our communities and across the world so that just like Paul, we could share the amazing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We worship you, Lord, and we praise you. We thank you for all that you're doing. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, well, as many of you know, Pastor Brian and I are avid fans of the Puritans. We love the Puritans. 
So along that line, and uh, kind of picking from the spirit of my Puritan brothers, I have like 17 things that I want you to see from our text this morning. If you know anything about the Puritans, they had lots of points to their message. On the plus side, I've broken it all down into like points of three and four, you know, little groupings. That way, hopefully, it's easier to digest. I, I couldn't help it. I mean, this book is jam-packed with tons of stuff. If you were here last week, you heard Pastor Brian mention that we could have spent three months on the introduction alone. There is so much theology in this book. I, I just think would encourage you to maybe grab a study Bible, read it on your own, maybe get a commentary. Pastor Brian has a commentary the size of Yellow Pages. It's a little daunting to me. Not every commentary on Romans is that thick, but there's a lot here that if you really want to dive in, you really want to eat this scroll, it's going to take some self-study. I'm going to do the best I can to just kind of unpack a lot of the content in this section of Scripture, but I encourage you to spend some time here on your own, read God's Word, just eat up Romans, man. It's awesome. That being said, let's dive in. Before we leave here today, over the next three hours as I go through my 17 points, it's my hope that you will see that just as Paul was called to Christ, as Christians, we too have been called to the gospel. In fact, we have been entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as Christ's representatives, it's our responsibility to share the gospel where we live, where we work, and where we play. That being said, first things first, I want to point out to how Paul starts out here in verse number 8. He starts out with what looks like the beginning of multiple points he wants to make. Look at verse 8 again. It says, first, and I said you could circle that, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because the news of your faith is being reported in all the world. Now, if you're an avid note taker on Sunday mornings, this message from Paul would drive you crazy. It would be a nightmare because he says first here, and then as you read through it, there's not a second or a third point. You get all worried because I have 17 points on eight verses. He has one point, and it's the entire book. I thought he was kind of starting out the framework for an outline, a three-point sermon maybe, but I don't see that here. And the more I looked at that, I saw that he's just saying, first things first, I want you to know I'm thankful for you. He's thankful for the Romans. You know, when we actually look at these eight verses, when we read through this pericope, which is kind of a fancy word for this section of text in between those headings in your Bible, when we look at that, we see that there are actually four things that Paul is actively doing based on this portion of Scripture here. There are four things Paul is doing. The first thing he's doing is he's thanking God for them. We see that in verse 8. First, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because the news of your faith is being reported in all the world. Why is he thankful for them? Because they're crushing it. They're telling everybody about Jesus. I don't know what the social media situation was then. If they had Facebook or YouTube, but the news of God is spreading everywhere. They might not have CNN, but maybe they had RNN. I don't know. But they're just telling everybody about Jesus. And he is thankful for that. The second thing he's doing is he's praying for them. Look down at verse 10. He says, I am always asking in my prayers that if it is somehow in God's will... I may now at least succeed in coming to you. In verse 10, we see that Paul writes that he's always praying for them, always praying, always asking God for an opportunity to see them, to be together with them. Why is he doing that? Well, why do you think that's his prayer today? Well, if we keep reading in verses 11 and 12, we see that the third thing he's doing is longing to see them. 
Verse 11 says, For I want very much to see you, so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Why does Paul want to see them? He wants to encourage them. He wants to strengthen them. He wants to, be, he wants to encourage them and be encouraged by them. That's what happens when we gather together. That's the joy of getting together is we get to encourage one another, strengthen one another, lift each other up. So if he wants to see them, he's thankful for them, and he's longing to be with them, why does he just go? Just go see him. It's got to be easy, right? They redid all the roads and everything. Verse 4, or uh, my fourth point, is that he's planning often to see them. We see that in verse 13. Verse 13 says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters. I often planned to come to you, but was prevented until now. See, it probably felt so easy to come see them. The Romans probably didn't understand why Paul wasn't coming. Why was Paul prevented from seeing them? I'm reminded of a camping trip my family wanted to take. My family was really excited to go camping. Let me rephrase that. Maddie and Crystal were really excited to go camping, and I was going along with them. But they were excited, and we got everything we needed. We borrowed a canopy from some friends. We packed all our stuff. We were getting ready to go to the grocery store and get supplies, and then we pulled up the weather, and it was not camping weather. It's hard enough for me when I have to rough it, and there's no pizza place nearby, but when you've got weather that says, don't even get out of your sleeping bag, you're going to freeze, that's, that's not for me. <laughs> have you ever wanted to take a trip? Crystal and I just took a trip. We were longing to go on the trip. And then by the end, we were longing to come home and be in our bed. But sometimes flights get delayed or, or get canceled. Or, or maybe you're on a trip and you run into car problems. There were problems here. And, and Paul wasn't making it to Rome. But I have to believe it's more than that, right? It's more than just travel woes. It's got to be something more important than that. I believe that God has been keeping Paul from going to Rome. It's probably hard for the Romans to believe, but there's a reason that God put the pause button on that. Just as Paul had constantly been praying for the Romans, he'd been planning many times to visit them. But unfortunately, the, t the travel plans just kept having to be sat aside. Have you ever had to sit on your future plans, just sit them aside for one reason or another? Last week, Pastor Brian talked about calling. Part of, part of that calling has to do with where you live, with where you're at. Acts 17, 26 tells us that God has determined the appointed times, and he set the boundaries of where we live. Do you know that God purposely puts you where you are in time, in history, in this place for a reason? Have you ever considered the fact that God may have placed you in the community where you live or at the job in your workplace to reach others for Christ? Have you ever thought about that? I'm reminded, I'm reminded of a family that I know. About a decade or so ago, they moved to Utah with kind of a two-year plan, right? We'll go there, we'll start this new job, maybe finish up school, we'll set a couple of years aside, and then we'll go out from there, right? It'll be kind of a launching pad. Well, if you talk to this family, they've been here in Utah for like a decade now. They, they've renewed that two-year plan multiple times. And I have to believe that's because God wants them here, right? He hasn't called them anywhere else. So they just stayed. Where has God positioned you for his kingdom work? As you're thinking about that, let's look back at Paul's life again. Let's look at that letter. We've seen what Paul's doing, right? 
Paul is thanking God for the Romans. He's, he's praying for them, and he's longing to see them and planning like crazy different ways and methods to maybe get there and to see them. We know what Paul is doing. But the next question we have to ask ourselves is, why is Paul doing these things? What, what was his motivation behind these actions? Why is he wanting to do these things? I think there are three motivations that we can kind of see from our text today that are behind Paul's actions, behind his motives. Three motivations. The first one is mutual encouragement. We saw that in verses 11 and 12. We can read them again. Verse 11 says, I want very much to see you, so they may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul wants to be an encouragement to the Romans. Not only that, but he wants to be strengthened and encouraged by them as well. That's the, one of the key reasons why we gather together. Hebrews 10.25, you'll hear me say this verse a lot, but it tells us not to neglect gathering together, as many are in the habit of doing, but to gather together as we wait for Christ's return. If you only come to church once a month, how much are you able to be encouraged by somebody else? How much are you encouraging someone if you only come once a month? Proverbs 27, 17 says that just like iron sharpens iron, we have to sharpen one another. When we get together, when we gather together, we're able to strengthen one another. We're able to encourage one another, lift each other up, and build each other in the Lord. It's a blessing to get to be together. If we learned one thing in COVID, it's that we want to be together. So Paul's longing to be with them. He wants to be encouraged by them. And secondly, he has a sense of obligation. Look at verse 14 and 15 again. It's been a while since we read it. Verse 14 says, I am obligated both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now I read this and I thought, who are the barbarians? And I know what you're thinking, but it's not your in-laws, so just forget that. <laughs> the word barbarians in the sentence is foreigner, right? We see Paul all the time. He talks about how the gospel is for the Jews and the Greeks, for the Gentiles, for the foreigners. It's for everyone. That's what he's saying here. He has a sense of obligation to them. Third, he has a confidence, a confidence in the power of the gospel. Now, we kind of have to take a quick jaunt into verse 16, which isn't part of our text. That's Pastor Brian's next week. But if we just tiptoe through the tulips here, he might not get mad at me. So if we just read verse 16, you'll see what I'm talking about. Verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. Paul was unashamedly committed to the gospel of Jesus. Can the same thing be said about us? Not only was he confident in the redeeming power of the gospel, but he was obligated to it. He was eager to share the gospel because he witnessed firsthand, not only in his own life, but in the lives of others, the change that the gospel has. If you've read any of the New Testament at all, you've probably seen that Paul used to be called Saul. The reason he's not anymore is because God drastically got a hold of his life. When, when we see people get baptized here, we see an amazing change in their lives. Have you ever seen the difference that the gospel can make? I know that many of you have. It's powerful. Paul knew this. He was motivated by it. In fact, you can find the motivations that were spurring Paul on here 
in our text this morning. They're outlined here in Scripture behind Paul's I am statements. There are three I am reasons that Paul had to share the gospel. In verse 14, he says, I am obligated. In verse 15, he says, I am eager. And in verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed. If you write in your Bible, I'd encourage you to grab a pen, and in verse 14, underline, I am. And circle the word obligated. In verse 15, write down the, underline the words, I am, and circle the word eager. And then underline, I am, in 16, and circle the words, not ashamed. These are three powerful, powerful reasons that Paul was determined to share the gospel. He says, I'm obligated to the gospel. I'm eager to share the gospel, and I am not ashamed of the gospel. It shouldn't be surprising that we as Christians might have very similar, if not the same, reasons and motives to share the gospel. Let me explain what I mean. Last week, Pastor Brian shared how, as Christians, we have been called by God. To review, if, if you weren't here last week, or maybe you forgot, last week, Pastor Brian shared how, as Christians, we are called by the gospel, through the gospel, and for the gospel. So because we've been called by the gospel, and through the gospel, and for the gospel, don't we have a reason now to share the gospel? If you're taking notes, and I hope that you are, there are three reasons that we have to share the gospel. At least three, right? One is we've been entrusted with the gospel. We're obligated. Just, just like Paul, we are obligated to share the gospel. If we have been called by God to be Christians, don't we owe it to him to share the gospel with others? If not us, who? If we haven't been entrusted with the gospel, who has? It's us. We've been entrusted with the gospel. Paul made everything about the gospel. But oftentimes we make nothing about the gospel. Think about it. Mark 16, 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all of creation. How many of us are doing that? I mean, faithfully doing that. Be honest with yourself. I know I could do better. We could all do better. We have been entrusted with the gospel. Secondly, we have gospel stories. Are we not eager to share the gospel what are your gospel stories? What are the God stories in your life? What are you passionate about? We, we talk about the things that are important to us. If God has done something in your life, you're going to want to share it with others, right? I mean, how could you not? What are your God stories? Look around you. I mean, our church is a God story. It's a gospel story. It, it feels weird to even talk about the unification of our church now because it's been so long. It, it feels like a distant memory now because we're such a new church now, together as one. God has done incredible things just through our faith family. We could spend time this morning going over stories and, and hearing from everybody about how God's moved in their lives. A perfect example is Pastor Mike. I wasn't here before the merge, but I, I'm sure that Lori will confirm and Mike will tell you he's probably going to be busier in retirement than he was in the years leading up to retirement. Why is that? It's because while we may quit our jobs and, and life has changes in it, we never quit being a Christian. 
We never quit having an obligation to the gospel. What has God done in your life that would be a testimony of how amazing our God is? You know, sometimes it's easier to share your story with your coworkers than it is to outright share the gospel. What you don't realize is, is that when you're sharing your story, when you're sharing how God has changed your life and rescued you, how he saved you, you guys, that is the gospel. You don't have to share the Romans road with your neighbor to lead them to Christ. The life that you're living should be an overwhelming statement of how God works. The changing of your heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh is a powerful example of the gospel. After all, dead men tell no tales. Third, the gospel saves. We should not be ashamed. Mark 16, 16 says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. How much do you have to hate someone to not tell them about Jesus? That was a question that Penn Gillette asked. I don't know if you know Penn Gillette, Penn and Teller from Penn and Teller. They're illusionists, right? Penn Gillette is a full-blown atheist, 100% atheist. But there's a video on YouTube, and you can find it, where a Christian who was a fan of his gave him a Bible. He tells the story of when a man came up to him after one of his shows and said, hey, I just want you to know I, I love you. I love the work that you do. I care about you, and I believe the Bible. I believe the Bible is true and that the only way to, Christ, to heaven is through Christ Jesus. So I've got this Bible. I'm giving it to you. I want you to read it. Now, I wish I could tell you that out of that story, Pendulette got saved and his life was drastically changed. But last time I checked, that's not the case. He's still an atheist. He still believes that God does not exist. But you watch him tell the story, and he applauds this Christian man for having the guts, for being so convicted by what he believes. That he says, look, you matter to me, and I don't want you to go to hell. So please be reconciled to God. How much do you have to hate someone not to share the gospel with them. Eternity is at stake. People are dying. They are going to hell. Hell is a real place. But God can use you to help change the course in someone's life. Look at your own life. Look at how you were saved. If you are in here in this room this morning or you're watching online and you are a Christian, who did God use to share the gospel with you? What events or what people did God use to change your life? Aren't you glad they didn't keep the gospel to themselves? I mean, really, aren't you glad they had the courage to say, let me tell you about my Jesus? Like Paul, we should be bold enough to say, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. God is calling us to be bold, to take a stand and to share the gospel. But before we can preach the gospel to the world, we have to preach it to ourselves first. We've got to preach it to ourselves. There are three groups of people that we are called to preach the gospel to. And the first one is you've got to preach the gospel to yourself. Look back up at verse 7. That's where Pastor Brian ended last week. Romans chapter 1, verse 7 says, To all who are in Rome... Loved by God, called as saints, grace to you, 
and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at that verse. Look at the powerful words and phrases in that verse. Loved by God. Called as saints. Christian, we need to remind ourselves that as Christians, we are loved by God. And we are called by God. Christ died for us. We need to remember that. We need to remember the gospel. Some of us need to be reminded of the gospel. We all need the gospel 24-7. I can't leave home without Jesus. One, it's impossible. But two, if I tried, it'd be a train wreck. I can't do anything apart from him. The gospel fights our battles. It equips us to fight our battles and to help us stand firm when the craziness of life falls upon us. The second thing we need to do is preach the gospel to others. I know we've read it about three times now, but verses 11 and 12 speak to that. It says, for I want very much to see you. Why? So that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is to be mutually encouraged by each and other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul wanted to go to Rome so they could both be encouraged by one another. We need to preach the gospel to other Christians so that we can be an encouragement to one another, that we can strengthen each other. As many of you know, Crystal and I spent the last week at a pastor's conference. The teaching was great, the worship was amazing, but the best part of that was getting connected with our friends, with other pastors. We were able to spend some time with some pastors that we had been on staff with years ago, six or seven years ago. And when we had left that church and left that time, there was a lot of hurt. And it kind of left on a negative or kind of a bad tone. It was amazing to see the reconciliation that got to take place with those friends. I watched as, as we spoke together and we talked together and, and they prayed for my wife. An amazing thing happened. I saw the burdens of hurt of bitterness, of pain that my wife had been carrying for years, just fall off, just fall away. Just from a brother and sister in Christ going, I know I was there, it was terrible, but Jesus loves you and he's with you. It, it wasn't that we were in that specific place, but it was that we were with brothers and sisters and encouraging one another. Amazing things happen when we gather together. Paul was a servant of Christ, and we too are servants of the gospel of Christ. Because we are servants, we are obligated to preach the gospel. The third group of people we need to preach to is the lost. Look at verse 16 in next week's text. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, but also to the Greek. Paul wanted to share the gospel with the lost. We need to share the power and the freedom that only comes from salvation with others around us. Paul wanted to see Rome. Many people longed to see Rome. It, it was the capital city of Paul's time. Think of all that Paul got to see. The Colosseum, the gladiators, the ancient ruins that maybe weren't so ancient at the time. There was a ton to be seen in Rome. Paul didn't want to visit Rome to see the sights. Paul wasn't a tourist. He was an evangelist. He was an evangelist. 
Many of us view evangelism as optional or as extra credit rather than as a mandate from God. 2 Timothy 2.4, Paul tells Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. 1 Peter 3.15 reminds us that we too should be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in us. Is there a hope inside of you today? The book of Romans is the gospel. It's packed full of the gospel. It's the theology of Jesus Christ. Look at just a handful of the verses that are in here. I'm going to read them. They're not on the screen. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That doesn't sound good. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God for that. Romans 5.8 says, But God proves his own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you, Jesus. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. If you're a Christian, you can rest in that verse. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. If you're not a Christian, I'm here to tell you eternity is at stake. Many of us live our lives as if tomorrow is guaranteed. Well, the only guarantee in life is the judgment. Now, now is the time to commit your life over to Christ and allow him to call all the shots in your life. If you are a Christian, I'm here to remind you, eternity is at stake. God has very strategically positioned you exactly where you are for the advancement of the gospel. Each one of us has been called to proclaim the gospel where we live, where we work, and where we play. Rather than feeling defeated or depressed about where you live or where you work, why not ask, your, ask God who? Ask God who he wants you to share the gospel with. How many of your coworkers need to be saved? What lost neighbors is the Holy Spirit reminding you of this morning? Do you even know your neighbors? Many of us can't share the gospel with our neighbors yet because the first thing we need to do is bake some brownies and go introduce ourselves. Ask God where. He wants you to share the gospel. Pray for opportunities to share the gospel. Ask God to give you a boldness to share the gospel everywhere you go. My prayer for each of us this, this morning, including myself, is that hopefully, like Paul, we can leave here today committed to the king, eager to share the good news of Christ Jesus, and unashamed of the redeeming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Eternity is at stake. And this life that we are called to live is all about the gospel. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, I thank you so much, Lord, that you sent your son to die for us so that we wouldn't have to perish, but we could have eternal life. 
Lord, you have entrusted us with your gospel. Lord, I, I pray that we'd be worthy of the calling that you've placed in each and every one of us. Lord, that we would go out and proclaim the gospel. Lord, for those that are either sitting here or watching online or listening later, Lord, that aren't Christian, Lord, I pray you would draw them to you. Take their heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. Change their life so that they can experience eternity with you as well. Lord, I thank you for the calling you've placed on us, for the time and place that you've placed us in history. Lord, I, I pray that we would be able to be used by you, to be your hands and feet, to share the gospel where we work, where we live, and where we play. We worship you, King Jesus, and we thank you today. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit redeeminglifeutah.org.